Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're decking the halls, wassailing the neighbors, and putting chestnuts on an open fire. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And I really hope this isn't your first episode of our podcast, because <laughs> this is not how things usually go around here. No, no, we're bringing you something a little special today. Well, it's the holidays, and we thought a gift seemed appropriate. Happy holidays, Andy. Same to you, John. Uh, tell me, what, uh, what festive drink have you poured yourself this evening? Well, I'm trying to get into the spirit, so to speak. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I've made myself an eggnog cocktail. An eggnog? I didn't know you drank eggnog. You don't seem the type. I don't. Uh, Generally, I don't. Okay. Well, how how is it? Do you like it? It's thick, Andy. It's a bit thick. Uh, It's a (laughs) glass of cream and egg, and I don't really understand how people drink these. You know, John, this is a podcast. No one would know whether you're drinking it or not. I know this. Okay, well, I mean, it's not television. You could have a beer or a nice cup of tea, and and you could just say you're nogging it. Please. Why not do that? I I have my bad points, but I think I'm a man of integrity when it comes to the the theater of the mind that is the podcast. (laughs) You're a moral paragon, John. I don't know that I care for your tone there. Also, Mm. um, I did look into the background of eggnog for this uh, because I live an exciting life. So I thought I'd better have an eggnog so that I can justify the digression. Um, Okay. Andy, eggnog is supposedly descended from medieval possets. Uh, do oh. you know about possets? I, well, I, I do know about this. Possets, uh, they were made with cream and eggs and spices, uh, and then they would put ale or wine in there, right? Right. So basically nog, but with far basically. less alcohol than the one I'm drinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I actually saw a recipe that said possets should be cooked slowly over low heat until it becomes, quote, like a cheese. A big, steamy glass of congealed, creamy cheese. Yeah. No, that's a, that's an appealing description. No, it is not. Uh, anyway, uh, you can tell I'm really drinking eggnog because if I wasn't, everyone would be able to tell because I wouldn't sound like I'm talking with a throat coated with nutmeggy swamp muck. Uh, <laughs> so what have you got in your mug? Uh, well, it's not really a mug. It's more of a, see, you got a little, nice little glass oh, here. You. Um, I'm having what's called a Russian quaalude, John. And what exactly is that? It's a nice holiday treat. Uh-huh. Well, it's uh, got equal parts. Uh, the one that I usually make is just equal parts vodka, um, Irish cream, and Frangelico. This time I put uh, an ounce of Kahlua in it and a peppermint stick just to bring it all together <laughs> for the for the uh, occasion. How very festive. Um, yes. You said vodka? Which I assume is uh, the part I that actually, makes it Russian. Yeah, yeah. I was actually out of vodka, so mm-hmm. I used my Samogon, which is a Russian moonshine that I learned how to make, and that's what's in here. So it's it's really more Russian than, so than a regular quaalude. What you're telling me is you're drinking moonshine, cream, frangelico, peppermint, and what else? Um, Irish cream and uh, Kahlua. I put a little Kahlua oh, in there. Good lord, that's a that's a yeah. whole lot of that's a whole lot of dairy right there with your vodka. Um, I mean, I know. do you really consider Irish cream to be cream? Yeah, I kind of do. Uh, but also the Kahlua? I mean, yes. oh. although honestly, I think I'd still rather have your glass. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, still, cheers. 
Cheers to you, John. So uh, tell me, tell me, why are we gathered here in the middle of uh, your end of the semester grading? It's not enough to have a drink with a buddy, Andy? Well, it's a lot of grading. I finished mine. I know how difficult it can yeah. be. Well, I wanted something to distract me. No, uh, we're here because we want to share something exciting that we dug up from an old newspaper. Mm. It seems that if we go back... Wait, and wait, 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 wait. You want to you wanna yes. back up and try that again? Because yeah. that sounded like we've been trash diving for old fish bones, and I don't think that's what we've been doing. <laughs> oh, the old newspaper? Pardon me. We found something which had been printed in an old newspaper. Better? Ah, that's much, much better. Yes. Yeah. So folks might be aware of the origin of the poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas by Clement C. Moore. It was published in 1823 in the Troy Sentinel, a newspaper in upstate New York. I think everyone knows that. Right. Except that almost all of that is wrong, right? It, was, uh, it wasn't called Twas the Night Before Christmas in that printing. Mm-hmm. It was called True. Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas. Yes. It was also published anonymously. In yes. fact, I think Moore didn't know it was chosen for publication at all because a friend of his sent it into the newspaper on his behalf, but it carried no name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Moore was a professor of classical and biblical literature, and he didn't want to be associated with what he regarded as an unsophisticated piece of dog roll verse. <laughs> unsophisticated? Mm-hmm. John, it's got eight reindeer. Come oh, on. I withdraw my point. Yeah, but it, it's true that Moore was a little embarrassed until he realized that there was gold in them, their rhymes. Yeah, uh, but it turns out Moore made something of a habit of anonymous poetry. Uh, looking back through some earlier issues of the Troy Sentinel, we found another poem published in 1821, two years before the night before Christmas, mm-hmm. that is suspiciously similar to its more famous cousin, but describes a very different event. An episode from Gretter's saga. Right there in the Troy Sentinel, you say? Right there in the Troy Sentinel. Wow. I mean, do, do you think anyone's buying this? I don't know. Just commit all? to the bit. Commit to the bit. Yes, yes. You're right, though. It was <laughs> right there in the Troy Sentinel in uh, 1821. We couldn't yep. believe our eyes when we were just flipping through the pages, and there mm-hmm. it was. As we uh, do in our, in our free time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this, this poem tells the story of Gretir Asmundersen's fight with Glaum, the undead farmer. Now, if you remember from our episode, or if you've read the saga, Glaum is terrorizing a Christian farm in northwestern Iceland, where he worked before being killed by malicious spirits and becoming a revenant himself, a walking corpse seeking vengeance against the living. Now, the farm's owner, Thorhall Grimson, becomes desperate, especially after Glaum murders the man who replaced him on the farm. And the poem picks up a couple of years after Glaum's death, when Greta Esmundersen happens to stop at the farm during Yuletide. Deciding that Glaum sounds like a worthy challenge, Gretter spends a few days at the farm, and eventually, he and Glaum meet in a battle to the death. This poem, A Visit from Glaum, tells the story of that battle and its consequences. Mm. So it's a cheery holiday tale. It certainly is. Make yourself a hot drink, curl up by the fire, and enjoy as we present, for the first time in podcast form, the anonymous A Visit from Glaum by Clement Seymour. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's how anonymity works, John. Shh, get the fire started. A Visit from Glaum by Clement C. Moore T'was the night before Yuletide, and all through the house, not a Christian was stirring, not I nor my spouse. The windows were barred, all the doors shut for fear that the undead Glaum monster soon would appear. A dead heathen farmer should be snug in the ground, 
but visions of vengeance drove him from his mound. As night came upon us, we sang Christian songs, except for our house guest, Gretter the Strong. For Gretter was not such a reverend Christian, so our yuletide put him in an awkward position, but we thought that his strength, notwithstanding his faith, might save us if we were attacked by our wraith. On the first night, t'was quiet, with no sign of trouble. But on the second we found our outbuildings in rubble. And Gretter's own horse was among the things broken, and beat like the dead horse of mock Christmas poems. I told him to flee through the new-fallen snow, but he said, I'll avenge my lost steed for a go. It's time to find out what this dead man is made of. So far I've seen nothing I should be afraid of. A glimpse of this clown's a fair price for my horse. And he stayed a third night, but stayed wakeful, of course. And the missus and I, having heard the full mass, had retired to bed and laid down when, alas, up on the roof there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed as the silence was shattered. Away to the doorway I flew with my axe, looked out and looked up, then I froze in my tracks. The moon on the snow lit the night and gave proof of a glimpse of a ghoul riding rough on the roof, at his countenance horrendous, so wholly malevolent. I knew in a moment this must be Glaum's revenant. His skin was bruised dark, and his eyes gleamed like flame, and his heels were kicking and cracking the frame of the house where my wife and I stood as if fettered. Then came the bellow of our house guest, strong Gretter. More rapid than slept near his curses they came, as he hollered and challenged and called Glaum rude names. You troll's wife! You arsling! You eater of filth! You writer of poems to other men's milfs! Come down off the roof! Climb down the side wall and see if you dare challenge me in this hall! As spears rain on shields when thrown in the sky, that fluting of Glaum pierced the noise of his ride. He leaned off the housetop, his eyes lit on Gretter, and he screeched back at him in a scream long and bitter. And then, in a twinkling, I heard from the roof the scrabbling and clawing of Glaum in pursuit. As I drew back in fear and was turning around, Glaum came through the roof, hit the floor with a bound. He was dressed all in rags, from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all clotted with grave dirt and soot. He bore no sharp weapon, no sacks on his belt. He looked like a monster and stank like nine hells. His eyes, how they glittered, his fingers like claws. His cheeks looked like swith meat, and his slavering jaws dropped drool from his mouth that was streaming with foam, and the gleam of his teeth was pale as old bone. Glaum stood in the wreck of the roof underneath, a moonbeam that circled his head like a wreath. He had a grim face with a hideous rictus, and he moved with intent to afflict and evict us. He grasped at young Grettir, tried dragging him out, but the revenant discovered that Grettir was stout. And Grettir pulled back, tried his strength against the foe, and the two of them fought face to face, toe to toe. All the benches tore loose and the turf walls were shaking. All the mead horns were smashed and the floor close to breaking. Neither had the advantage and neither gave ground, but all through the night they went round and round. Young Grettir's strong arms held the power of twelve, and I laughed when I saw Glaum in spite of himself, being dragged back and forth on the rough farmhouse floor. But then, to my horror, Glaum reached the front door. He spoke not a word, but redoubled his work, and pulled Gritter toward him and leapt out with a jerk, 
the ghoul in the moonlight, the man in the doorframe, fought under the cloud-dappled night sky to win fame, until finally, desperately, Gretter drove doorward and pushed Glaumer back as he threw himself forward, and he bore that dead walker to the cold, frozen earth. But Glaum crackled madly in humorless mirth. For the clouds in the sky suddenly parted and thin, the moon lit the night, and the monster he grinned as the light on the face of the war-trampled snow gave the luster of midday to the figures below. And Gretter was caught in that horrible light from the revenant's eyes, t'was the dreaded Glaum sight. The terrible pearlescent gleam of his stare froze Gretter quite helpless in that horrible glare. And Glaum spoke in a voice full of mound mold and tombs, and said, Gretir, you have brought forth your own doom. You won't earn much praise or good fortune from me. You'll win here, but savor no taste of victory. I've brought you a present, boy, terror and pain, and half of the strength you've been destined to gain. But the other half's mine, now that I've left my mark. Wherever you wander, you'll see my eyes in the dark. Henceforward, you'll fear being alone in the night. You'll crave friends to protect you from perpetual fright. Your strength outstrips mine. I bow to your might. But my gaze will unman you. You are cursed in my sight. Glaum was ghastly and grinning, a jolly old ghoul. But with that, the clouds once again covered the moon. A wink of Glaum's eye and a twist of his lip gave Gretter the chance to break free of his grip. And he swung his short sword in a powerful blow that cut off Glaum's head and sprayed blood on the snow. Glaum paused a long moment, then fell down stone dead, and Gretter reached out and he picked up the head, and laying Glaum's buttocks aside of his nose, he stuck that head right where the sun never rose. He said, There's a valley for you to go haunting. May that narrow pass echo with your taunting. I turned to my wife, with my head in a whirl at the scene we had witnessed, that ungodly duel. We spoke not a word, overawed and in dread, and Gretter stalked past to return to his bed, and I heard him exclaim, as he lay out of sight, Happy Yuletide to all! And leave on the light! Well, that's what we have for you this year, dear listeners. It's uh, this probably a reason that Clement Moore never claimed this one. Well, you know, I mean, sagas are a niche audience kind of thing, and uh, it's also a little bit racy for 1820s. You know? I mean... <laughs> And besides, that you know, there's a chance that uh, Moore never claimed this poem because there's just no connection between them. In mm-hmm. fact, John, there's a strong argument to be made that both poems are simply drawing on a common tradition and don't have anything to do with each other directly. Oh, Maybe. Sorry, rather like the parallel texts of Greta and Beowulf. Are you doing a Magnus Fjaldal joke? Well, I mean, I was trying to, but uh, you're making it very difficult and I don't think anyone noticed. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, so we've officially done this lost text gag twice in a row. I'm, I'm kind of worried we're setting ourselves up for a tradition that's going to be very difficult to keep going. <laughs> well, that's that's future John and Andy's problem. Uh, to heck with those guys. Let them deal with it. Great. Happy <laughs> Yuletide or whatever you're celebrating this year, everyone. Yes. Finish your eggnog, John. Yeah, I'm working on it. Yes. In the meantime, be safe and have fun out there. Bye for now. Hey. 